maybe I can't tell people how to do something in the form of being successful, but I can definitely tell them what we did right and wrong, right? And, and that's part of our experience. That, that, that's what we experienced. That's what we learned. And we're just sharing our learning. Uh, I do believe sincerely that every founder has the task of stitching together experiences and understanding how they may or may not apply to them. Hi, I'm Perry Aguche, and I'm the host of Lessons from a Failed Startup. This is a show where we talk to founders of companies that have been shut down since their inception. We see what the journey was like for them, and ultimately, we learn from their unique experiences. Happy New Year, listeners. On today's episode, I had a conversation with Gaurav Mackin, who was one of the co-founders of Milk Guys. Milk Guys was a white combinator company in the summer batch of 2018. Milk Eyes, as Gorav described it, was the Amazon for vegans. We talk about his experience with running the company, what his lessons were, and ultimately why he had to shut down the company. Gorav talks about what the process for shutting down the company entailed and how long it took him. Super transparent with his experience and really, really great episode. I learned so much from this one and I'm sure you will too. So enjoy. Gaurav, thank you so much for being on, man. It's I know we had to move this like 20 times. I just kept seeing that reschedule <laughs> come through and it's like, what is going what, what is this guy doing? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. I really appreciate you being on, man. It's it's really um really great to have you. Thanks for um even leaving a comment on the post, right? My book face post was where you left a comment and I reached out. So I guess maybe let me start there, right? So you commented on this post, right? This is the I guess to give some context to listeners. This is the post that I officially launched this podcast at the YC community. You went in there, you left a comment saying, oh, you know, this is awesome. And I think you tagged a friend saying, oh, we were just talking, having a conversation about the need for this. Um, and I wanted to like start there. Like, what was that conversation and why did you think this was needed? Like as much context as you can share. I'm actually just interested in hearing hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I was talking to a founder friend for our badge, uh, Summer 18, Mitra, and, and we're just going through our experiences, right? And everyone's had their unique experiences. Um, and one, one, by the time we were done, it was that we talked about so many things. And then there were these nuggets in there that we wish we had heard while we were working on our startups or just getting started. And, and, it just felt like it'd be great to talk about that because like you said, like 95% or some really high number of startups don't work out. And and I think that founder community on its own also wants to talk. And also I think there's these lessons that new founders, not just the ones who've recently raised money, but also like those who are thinking about things uh, they can learn from. So we're like, oh, that would be really cool. And, you know, boom, you had this post on the, YC, you know, internal forum. And I was like, this is it. We, we, we need this. We need to be talking about this. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. I, um, I feel like 
founders who have done companies, whether, you know, they shut it down or it failed in some way or they had to pivot, whatever the case is, I honestly, sometimes I feel like they don't realize how much gem and how much knowledge they have from the experience to share with others. Like I can tell you how many people have reached out to me just saying like, dude, thank you so much. I listened to this episode and literally I'm like going through this with this founder or like, you know, I'm experiencing this now. And like, I was just hearing this other person's experience. I learned so much and I'm like, I wish more founders would come out and talk about their experiences. Like there's just so much to learn from you who, you know, who've, you know, taken the bold step to go to a company, whether or not it succeeded. Right. Um, so I completely agree with you there. Um, so no, thanks for sharing that. So I, I did some stalking a little bit. I stalked you a bit before yeah. we got on. Obviously that's how I, you know, come up with questions and, you know, know kind of <laughs> what to talk about. Um, and I, I, I saw that you switched from like, you had a very typical traditional engineering background, right? And I think your sort of first role maybe was even in engineering, but eventually I kind of saw like a transition to product. And that got me really interested. Um, Like why, why did you make that switch and how did that happen? Yeah, the the short answer is probably that I was a bad engineer. Uh, I I, I kid, half half joking. I was working at a bigger company, Amazon, and as an engineer, you're essentially just seeing this project request come in and then thinking about how you're going to solve it in a scalable way. Uh, Amazon, everything you did, you had to think about like how millions of users are going to be able to use it all at the same time. That's kind of what you were solving for. And then you got to work building. You didn't get to understand why the, the customer wanted that feature. Not that the product managers didn't do that job, just that you were shielded from it. Um, and that was something I was curious about. I wanted I wanted to know how to build products. I knew that I wanted to build products in the long run uh, at a startup, maybe of my own, maybe you know working with a different team. And product just felt like that right fit. Um, so I got to do that a little bit at Amazon, and I really loved it. Uh, it was cool because Amazon scale says, you know, I launched Amazon Mexico, uh, Amazon Australia got to see so many expansions of so many different business lines within Amazon. That was a really cool experience. And at some point I wanted to take, continue taking that experience, bring it uh, more to a startup, more customer facing. And, and that's when I joined Instacart. Uh, and I, I think there's beauty in engineering, there's beauty in product, and I was able to enjoy both. And I'm glad for that. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I agree with you. I feel like sometimes as individual contributors, um, you know, engineers, they, you oftentimes, you're very disconnected from like the customer piece of it, right? Like that feedback loop that's coming in from customers. Um, you know, the, the product people say, hey, this is what we need you to build. I mean, you have some input and I mean, depending on size and scale of the company, that input really, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it starts to uh, fluctuate a little bit. But I think um, most engineers can be disconnected from that customer um, feedback loop, which I think is really important. Um, so, okay, that, that's, that's really cool. Um, so you worked at Instacart, like you said, before, uh, Milk Guys. And I was, when I was looking at Milk Guys and what you did and, you know, it's amazing company went through YC in the summer of 2018. 
I thought, huh, he worked he worked at Instacart and then like went off to start Milk Guys. Like, was there something you saw? I mean, we're going to obviously the podcast, this episode is really going to be talking about Milk Guys. But kind of leading maybe a, a segue into that is did you see something missing at Instacart or um, were you like, boom, one day you get this idea like, oh, I could go through this thing slightly differently, focused on this niche, right? Um, differently from what Instacart is doing. Was that, did the idea come about anyway in that shape or form at all? I think half of that idea came in, in that regard. Uh, so I was an early product manager at Instacart and I happened to work on the catalog team. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but Instacart has the catalog data for most retail stores in America. So that's millions of products, millions of like item instances per store. And if all you're doing is thinking about that all day, uh, you start coming up with ideas on how to help brands directly, right? Because today, the, today kind of the customer experience is you have this food brand that sells to the retailer, that sells to Instacart, that sells to the customer. And you can't really get good product innovation that way. You really need the brands to be able to connect directly with the customers. So that was something that I learned from my catalog experience. And that was 50%. The other 50% of it was um, I got interested in plant-based. I actually left Instacart to start a CPG company, like to create a consumer product goods, sell directly to customers. Uh, and I was making an Indian-inspired coconut chutney dip. And through that experience, um, I, I kind of got introduced to the plant-based world and realized for reasons of climate, I wanted to eat more plant-based. But eating plant-based at that point was really, really hard. And I was kind of able to take this like Instacart view of I can help brands directly uh, with this, like I need a lot more plant-based foods and I want to have them all in one place to combine and create this marketplace that would help brands find more plant-based customers and uh, customers kind of find more plant-based brands. Uh, with the one big hope, that when that marketplace exists, then we're going to actually be able to get a lot more plant-based products out there. And, and the reason that's dear to me is because I have a very uh, diverse palate. Uh, I want like vegan versions of like Indian food, vegan versions of Ethiopian food. And, and I felt like the only way that kind of food was going to come about is if there was like a very strong marketplace creating that. Uh, so, so that's kind of how Milk Guys came about. Got it. That's a really good segue into um, talking about Milk Guys and maybe um, talk a little bit about what Milk Guys did as a company um, and, um, you know, just sort of how you got started with, you know, with the formation of the company and like actually building your team or actually just launching the product, right? Yeah, um, so, so even a step before Milk Guys, uh, after... After building the CPG company uh, and trying to find distribution to it, I realized that the challenge was my customers were online, but I was trying to sell to retail stores. So I kind of thought of an idea for having a product hunt focused just on vegan products. And I, I launched that where you could go and be like, hey, what are all the plant-based burgers? What are all the plant-based sauces? Uh, you, you know, you just filter for plant-based, whatever you want, there's a substitute for it. 
so as I was creating that and showcasing that to people, uh, I kept getting the feedback like, you're showing us all this delicious food. We just want to buy it. And at some point, I was like, I know how the economics of this work. I know how this business works. I've worked at Instacart. I've worked at Amazon. Uh, I know I care about this problem. I should just test out a grocery store model. And I knew that the economics for a grocery store that's like your own warehouse is better than using a, a third-party logistics model. And uh, to be very honest, like I just created a Shopify store, uh, looked up the local grocery store. It's called Rainbow. Uh, it's a vegetarian and vegan co-op, so they had a huge selection. Uh, kind of went down to the store, took pictures of products, uh, uploaded them with pricing, put it on this website, just launched it. And uh, I actually went to talk to a, a friend at that point. And we, we just met and I was like, hey, you've done a startup. I want to learn, get your experience. And I went up to him, met, met him for coffee. We were chatting and he just inspired me. His name is Jeremy Kai. He's uh, he's found he's founder of Italic. And uh, I went home and I'm going to I'm going to launch this tonight. Uh, and, and I did and send it to Jeremy the next morning and he places an order and he was my first customer. Uh, so I was like, shit. Okay. Uh, so that I like, you know, walk up to rainbow, full, take the order that Uber over to his home and drop it off. Uh, and that was kind of like the Genesis of milk guys. Uh, we kept it delivery only. Uh, part, so, so part of, uh, part of my plant-based uh, experience also came from, uh, someone who became my co-founder, uh, a, a friend at that point who who was plant-based himself and he's like really one of the people who showed me the value of eating plant-based and at some point him and i got together and just started posting on local facebook groups and saying hey we've got this uh, uh grocery store and we would just go to the whatever actual grocery store whole foods rainbow get those products drive around the city deliver it to people uh and, th and then we figured out that didn't work so we put a fridge in our apartment um, and, and my roommate at that point actually ended up joining us as our first engineer. And, uh, you know, I almost consider him as a co-founder and he is a co-founder now. Um, and at some point we had like eight fridges in our apartment, just storing food for people. Anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. That's like the early stages of book guys. Yeah. That's uh, I love the stories, man. When like, <laughs> Your apartment was your office, was your storage unit, and just was everything that happened uh, regarding the company. No, that's really awesome. Um, so I guess the way you described this company online, I read somewhere was you call it the Amazon for vegans. Um, however, though, I, I was reading, I think, a TechCrunch article that also said something that contradicted that a little bit. Um, yeah. I, right. You're smiling. I, and I guess people can see, but you're smiling. So I, I'm guessing, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, right? And maybe, you know, where this question is going, but can, I guess, can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, you described yourself as Amazon for vegans, but ultimately we're not only selling vegan products, right? On, on milk guys. Is that correct? Oh no, we were always selling vegan products. I see. The, 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 uh, the, the interpretation that, that you're looking for is, uh, what got me into like plant-based eating is the amount of climate damage animal-based products have. And the alternate to those products 
actually is not just plant-based products, it's also cell-based meats. So when you think about uh, folks who make a decision to not eat animal-based products because they're anti-animal harm, some of them are not okay with cell-based meats. And, and they may identify as vegans themselves and may not consider that it's vegan to eat cell-based. And uh, cell-based, by the way, is now called cultured meats. Um, so, so for us, the, the goal is to reduce dependence on animal products. And if that means offering cultured meats, then that would have been part of the vision. Got it. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess, how did, how did the company do? At your peak, how many, how many users did you have? How, was, um, how were your numbers from a revenue standpoint? I know you all raised like $2.5 million. Um, you know, did you raise that shortly after YC? Or can you talk a little bit about sort of how did the company do at like your best? Yeah, absolutely. So we obviously went through YC demo day, uh, met some awesome investors, raised uh, 2.5 million from them. Uh, we used to be a delivery model, and initially we were focused on a 50 mile radius of San Francisco to kind of see what where the actual product needs were. And one of the things we noticed is that city folks for a vegan grocery store, their bar for the experience was going to be a lot higher. And we weren't sure that we could very easily solve for that. But on the other side, on the suburb side of things, there were people who really wanted to eat their vegan products, but their local grocery stores didn't really offer these options. So slowly through, uh, and, and you know now it sounds very easy, but at that point it was a stressful set of experiments. Uh, we kind of tested shipping within California. Uh, we then moved to shipping on the West Coast. And then at some point, uh, and, and this, this I think was a very important moment for the company, we went national. So we were one warehouse just located on the West Coast and we said, we're gonna go national. Uh, by going national, one of the things that we unlocked was this brand partnership with, uh, with national size vegan brands with huge followings. And we kind of became their like DTC partners. Uh, some of them like, include Beyond Meat, Miyoko's Cheese. And and through that, I think we found our rhythm. Uh, so once that happened, that happened January, 2019. Well, you know, you know, growth is like pulled, like demand is pulling you along. Uh, that actually continued for about a whole year. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll get to, we, we kind of got into uh, company struggles. So for us, what was interesting is from a consumer demand side, uh, even our last month of existence was our highest like record month. We never had a, we essentially never had a dip in our orders for a whole year. We continued to grow significantly month over month. That is really interesting. So your, your last month of existence was your highest month from you know as far as your kpi goes like how do you shut that down like how like wh why wasn't that working uh you know how do you shut that down i think with like uh, a lot of sadness um the the challenge that we encountered essentially came down to making the economics of the business work so this is pretty much true for most food. 
food almost is not a demand question. It's a business model question. Food margins are infamously razor thin. Uh, if you look at a company like Whole Foods on a top line of $15 billion approximately, they have a 3% net margin at that scale. And and that really just, it, it's just a different kind of game. Um, so the, the way to make a grocery company work at scale, or if you're trying to go for that scale, um, you have to kind of take losses for a long time before you can turn profitable. <coughs> Excuse me. We were also a Instacart team. So we were just used to saying, hey, we're going to figure this out slightly later. Um, so we made the decision when we went national, we made the decision to go national and sacrifice on profitability because the, at that point we had a very, again, in retrospect, simple, but an important choice to make. Either we try to keep demonstrating profitability on unit economics or uh, while, while doing that, we kind of have to pay for growth or have to find these like really hard ways to grow. Or we can go national and prove that there's demand for this market by partnering with these brands. And we'll take the risk on economics because we felt that that, like, if you consider the two paths, that was the path that was going to have a higher probability of success, in, in, in our opinion. And the reason for that is because I think the world's definitely shifted in late 2019, 2020. But back when we made this decision, uh, one of the biggest investor questions was about market size. So for us, it was more important to prove market size and prove that this uh, business can grow, there's demand for it, versus proving the financials, because the financials could have been proven later. Do you feel like, maybe as you look back now, do you feel like that was a wrong choice to go prove the demand as opposed to just doubling down, maybe staying only in San Francisco and figuring out the financials for the business? Uh, no, I, I actually think that was the right call to make. Um, you know, the first right call was just sh shift to shipping over delivery. Uh, that was like very, very confidently that was the right choice. Uh, the second choice was to stay local uh, or, you know, through the West Coast or go national. And in that choice, the hypotheses that we wanted to prove, we were able to prove. And then we had a shot at raising money. Uh, versus if all we proved was that this business model works and we can do this in a unit economic positive way, we would not, like, we wouldn't get much credit for that. And then we would have an open question of, can you even attract customers? Got it. Got it. Um, so I guess kind of looking back at your experience, <clears throat> right? Looking back at your experience with all the decisions that you made, how much growth you had in like just the math not, not working out. Um, other than like the numbers and the economics of it, right? And, and how challenging you realized that that was later on. Was there anything else that you found out later as you were running the business that like you just couldn't have known before you started? Or maybe, well, maybe you couldn't know if you had spent time thinking about it. 
but like were there any was there anything else that you know you realized later that impacted you having to shut down the business that you just didn't see before you before you launched or maybe like in your really early days yeah um i think we in some ways did not realize the impact that frequency of purchase would have we always used to think about retention and we had a retentive audience if we look at a one-year horizon there were customers that were definitely coming back. However, the frequency at which they were coming back was the part of the challenge, like was, was, was the challenge. Because let's say you make $5 on one grocery order. If they come every single week, like 52 weeks or 50 weeks, that's $250 that you're making from that customer in one year. And you can use that to acquire the customer. However, if the customer is only coming twice a year, even though they're coming and they're going to come next year and they came last year, you're only making $10 from that. And, and I think in the world of startups and high growth, $10 one, for one year LTV just is not something that's going to be VC fundable. And for this business to work, we would need strong capital to get to that escape velocity, to get to that scale where we could be profitable. Yeah, got it. Um, so what were your primary indicators, you know, towards the end of the business that told you that, man, like it's time to shut down or like we're going to have to like wrap this up? What were some concrete things you were looking for? Is it like, did you have a threshold for like, how much you wanted to do in number of transactions or amount of transactions? Or was it like once we get, you know, the money in the bank gets to X amount of dollars, then like we have to wrap things up. Like what were some indicators that kind of let you know that it was time to, to shut this down? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we reached a little over, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if, we can publicly share numbers. I never ha have had to think about that. Um, we got to a decently high top line, at which point, because of our East Coast demand, which was rising very rapidly, uh, our shipping costs were rising very rapidly, and we were we were doing an expensive transaction there. Uh, the amount of money that we were earning for those orders did not make sense to continue if we did not understand that there's a path forward. So for us, this was less about, hey, we're not seeing things work from a product market fit perspective. Like customers are coming, customers talking about it. Uh, customers love the product. We did the we did the superhuman, you know, product market fit leading indicator questions and we used to get great numbers on that. Uh, so, so customers wanted it. it. It was more a finance decision and and at some point, I think the, the burn would have just looked so high that it didn't make sense to continue going. Got it. Could you have could you have just increased your prices? Like, could you have charged we, more for shipping, charged more for like what you were selling? We, we, we did. We were charging $15 for shipping. And that still order. was not, that was still not good enough. That was not good enough because this is fast shipping and this is 
heavy boxes because there's food and this is dry ice. So you have to pay like additional costs for dry ice. And it's also just like heavy because of additional dry ice and also expensive because of that. Uh, so so we, we, we did increase shipping and even if we had gotten to unit, like we, even if we made a few extra dollars, the problem remains that if your frequency is not high enough, it's not that you're going to be able to move that $5 in order to $50 in order to really be even talking about a meaningful change. Got it. Got it. And when did you, um, when did you officially shut down the company? Uh, so we, we seized operations start of the year. And so, so this is, a. uh, because this was a physical operation, because we were growing so fast, we, we'd actually grown our warehouse space uh, like twice. And then we were at this new big warehouse um, and we'd just gotten a bunch of containers for walk-in freezers, refrigerators. Uh, let's just say we had a lot of equipment, a lot of food uh, and, and, you know, responsibly trying to liquidate those things uh, took a few months and, uh, getting all the paperwork and stuff done. It, it was basically May of this year that we were able to shut down. Oh, wow. So the shutdown process took what, like five months, four or five months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually a listener reached out to me and, you know, they said that they are interested in like starting a company and they're, they're really enjoying kind of hearing from people who have gone through this experience and, um, ironically well maybe not ironically but it's had a positive impact in that it's made this listener actually want to go start a company right and one of the questions that he had for me right that you know to ask guests on the show or something he would like to know more about is like when you look back at your experience like would you say that your life is better now today because of the startup that i did right and i'll give you like the practical examples he gave like was it easier for you to get back to work right? Was it easier for you to start another company? Um, so I guess when you look at your own journey with Milk Guys, how would you answer that for yourself? Yeah, I'm actually incredibly grateful for this experience. And, and, and I feel that in multiple ways, my life is better. Uh, I think that the most important thing is just the amount of clarity that I have when you put yourself through that experience, it's definitely a lot of stress. It's definitely a lot of self-doubt. It's definitely very challenging. And I think through that process, you get to know so much more about yourself. And, and, and I think in some ways I'm now excited about that. Yeah. I have, I'm yet to ask anyone that question who has given me, like a different response, right? Even people yeah. who have failed, I don't know, miserably or whatever you want to say, have been super grateful that they went through the startup experience and they feel like they are where they are today, whether it's job or life just in general, credibility, because they went through that startup experience. Hey, really quickly, if you are a listener and you have a question that you would like me to ask guests in future episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly with your question. You can just email it to me. My email is perryogw at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at 
Perry underscore Oguche. That's my first name underscore my last name. If there's any questions you're curious about learning from people who have shut down their companies and just what their experience was like, feel free to reach out to me and I will be more than happy to ask that question for you, just like I did this last one. All right, back to the show. So let me let me ask you this. Do you feel like with Milk Guys, you gave it your all as far as like when you look back at how you performed just running the company, would you say you gave it like 110 percent? Um, I think maybe there are two questions in there. One is, did you give it your all? And the second is, did you maybe do the best you could? Um, and, and, and the second one being more about like, could you could you have done better? Could you have responded better to things? Uh, I think, did I give it my all 101%? Uh, and, and I feel like that's just name of the game to be very honest right like you have you have to have to have to make that the the only thing in your life um from a perspective of did i do my best uh i i think you know in the moments i definitely felt like i was doing my best but obviously through reflection you realize that there's tremendous growth tremendous like opportunity at every step to to do something better uh, so from that if you know, that perspective, I, I feel definitely there must have been a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. You talk, you talk about reflection and, you know, this is something that I'm having to do myself with my own startup experience. Um, and this is a question I, I like to ask everyone who I, I chat with. When you look back at your experience, um, you look at the journey, uh, maybe two years or a little more than two years for you with building Milk Eyes and getting it to the point where you did and all the mistakes you you made along the way and all that you learned if you could offer one or two i i'm asking one or two now i used to say one but i realized people always have more than one so so if you could offer one or two um, pieces of advice to founders you know whether that's a new founder whether it's someone already running a company based on your experience what would that be yeah um are we assuming that they already know what they're working on or are we assuming that they're starting off as founders? That's a great question. Um, why don't you take it however you feel like your, your advice applies best? Yeah, fair. Um, I think if you're starting off as a founder, most of the traditional advice will say, move fast, talk to customers, build, sleep, repeat. And I could be wrong about this advice, but this is advice I would have wanted to hear for myself, specific to my experience. Um, there are, even within the startup game, there are different games that you can be playing. And understanding that part of it is extremely, extremely important because that, is, that feeds into the decisions that you make for your startup. Should you work towards profitability? Should you work towards growth? Would you Should you try to figure out the business model is the risk or should you try to figure out the demands the risk? I think those things are incredibly important. And you also then just take different kind of risks and you chart your path differently. I believe that today the kind of advice we get is just like put your heads down, build a product, and then wake up on the other side and figure out your business model, right? And and I think like in that way, 
to be less surprised, you may want to um, you you may want to think through that initially. So so maybe that's like one piece that I would I would share. I see. So would you say that is just knowing what to focus on and like just being able to focus on that? Um, I think you have to know what to focus on, but this is, this is slightly different. This is, this is understanding. So I'll, I'll contextualize it with milk guys In milk guys. Uh, part of the problem was proving customer demand, um, but it was actually not just proving customer demand. It was also proving that there's a high enough frequency of use. And if we had been seeking that part of the answer, we would have maybe learned something sooner that could help us change uh, our direction, try new things. Like as a team, we were actually very fast at trying new things. It, you know, the, the day that we decided we were going to go national, we were national within 24 hours of that. So, you know, along with the launch post, along with the code changes, along with all the integrations, along with all the messaging that needed to happen. So, so I think we were able to move fast. If we, if we knew this specific part of the puzzle, uh, frequency, and, and the reason why we talked about frequency mattered is because it fit back into the economic model. Uh, coming from an Instacart background, to us, it was like, oh, we're going to get to scale and we'll be good. Um, the the slight difference was that in the Instacart model, Instacart was going after the full grocery industry. And for us, we were going after a small slice of the, of the industry. And I think VCs are more willing to fund the Instacart go for everything model than they are the niche model. Uh, so... Having connected those dots earlier on, that we're not in the same game as a market dominator, would have helped us make different decisions. So would it be right if I said um, that maybe if you could go back in time and do something differently, you would maybe try to validate frequency sooner? Yes. yes. Okay. Or we, we would try different models that allowed for frequency to be the the variable that we're trying to move got it got it and would that be would you say that maybe would be at the top of the list for things you would do differently or is there something else that even tops that i think this would be one of the top things we would do differently got it okay so i guess you know to to maybe wrap up here i I want to talk about something that I've been having a conversation with, you know, a lot of people on the show and, and off the show about, and it's this idea of um, sort of being in this position of, you know, shutting down a company and coming on a podcast like that, like this to whether it's, you know, just talk about your experience and in some ways maybe offer advice, right? Um, based on the way that I, I phrased the question, I'm explicitly asking you to offer advice to others, people who are listening. Um, and there is this thing, right, about like you should only be able to offer advice when you've done something successfully, right? Or like if you haven't done the thing successfully yet, then like maybe you don't have enough credibility to talk about it. Um what are your thoughts on that? And like, do you, do you feel like that that's true? Like, how do you, how do you view, um, you know, you can speak for yourself, right? How do you view yourself 
as someone who's able to give advice on running a company, having, you know, shut down one recently? Yeah, yeah. I really like that question. Um, there, there are two immediate thoughts that come to my mind. One is maybe I can't tell people how to do something in the form of being successful, but I can definitely tell them what we did right and wrong, right? And, and that's part of our experience. That, that, that's what we experienced. That's what we learned. And we're just sharing our learning. Uh, I do believe sincerely that every founder has the task of stitching together experiences and understanding how they may or may not apply to them, right? I don't think there's any one person who can tell you, here's the one silver bullet success strategy. I believe possibly even if they're successful, uh, because they can tell you how they won the game. They can't tell you how you will win the game. Uh, so same way, uh, you know, you can tell people about all the wrong exits that you took so they they can evaluate if they want to take those exits or not, right? Uh, that that That's one big thing. So, so that was one part of the answer. I think the other part of the answer is in... In some cases, like like being at a startup like Instacart, uh, it, it does teach you or shows you one example of what what worked and what was right. And I think you can extrapolate a lot from that. Uh, so so going back to your question, I I believe there's a lot to learn from failure. I believe there's a lot to learn from success, and you know. Um, I don't want to use the phrase best founders, but founders who are willing to do their homework will look at both and try to understand why the successful ones worked and why the failed ones didn't. And they'll try to avoid those mistakes. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. I really like that. Um, well, yeah, I think, you know, that's, uh, that's the last question I had for us. I, and I guess I just wanted to know, like, what are you up to now? Yeah. Um, so, at part of my reflections, I I realized that so so the shutdown of the company took a couple of months. It happened due to COVID. Uh, I I was able to get some initial help from from folks on the team, but I in no way felt that I could be asking them to deal with all the small things that I had to. Uh, so I spent a lot of months trying to shut down. Uh, Obviously, like the process even leading up to shutdown was hard. And, and during all of that, the, the one thing I was thankful for was uh, going to therapy. Ther- therapy. therapy. Uh, Amy used to be the batch manager for uh, Summer 18. And she, you know, one of the first sessions we had a YC in person, Amy like sat everyone down and was like, listen here, everyone, you all need a therapist. It, it obviously Amy said it in like nice words, but but I took it very seriously and I was like, I'm going to go get a therapist. Um, so I had a therapist for pretty much the whole duration of Milk Guys starting from YC till post shutdown and I still do. And, and I realized that having that therapist actually allowed me to make decisions faster, better, feel good, deal with my emotions better, deal with my partnerships, emotions better, uh, better. and and because of that, I kind of want to, the next thing I'm working on is essentially uh, promoting therapy to founders. So I'm 
I'm on a pursuit to show all the advantages of therapy to founders, show them all the different ways we can think about it. Uh, it doesn't have to be that you have anything wrong that you need fixed. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I'm up to now. That's awesome. Has that, has that launched? Is that um, publicly available? Can people find that anywhere? Um, it hasn't launched. Uh, I, I have a few founder friends that, that I want to start using this. Um, but, but very soon, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll announce to the YC group. And uh, it, it's still early. I'm, I'm still learning from founders what exactly they want in therapy and how we can deliver that. Yeah, that's re- yeah, that's really awesome. Keep me keep me posted. Um, well, dude. well, look, dude, it's been it's been really good to talk to you, and um, I thank you so much for for coming on and just you know being bold enough to share your experience. And I mean, it's still fresh, right? You literally just went through the shutdown um, process and experience. So I really appreciate you being on here and and talking to us today. Absolutely, man. And before I go, uh, thank you. I, I feel like what you've taken a step towards is freaking awesome. Uh, getting to sit on the other side and asking people hard questions about their hard experiences that no one otherwise has talked about is, is definitely a challenge. And I, I'm glad you're doing it. So thank you very much. Oh, man, I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank, thanks for saying that, Gaurav. Thank you. Of course.